0: Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an Advanced Cicerone.
1: Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an Advanced Cicerone. This episode is all about my favorite thing in the world, which is sensory. Woo! I can't believe that it actually took us this long. I mean, I we had Kara on, on one of our first episodes, Kara sure. from Aroxa, to talk a, a little bit about sensory. But um, when Rachel and I were talking, I mean, at this when this episode comes out, it will not have been yesterday. It will be like a month prior but uh, we were talking about what this episode should be about and uh, finally I was like oh we should talk about sensory <laughs> yeah uh, and in part because uh, I think we were talking about somebody not not yes. knowing why their beer is bad uh, but at uh, New Rome we are like starting to really kick off our sensory program you know recruiting people getting the... Um, panelists trained up to be able to do things like true to brand and I am not I'm kind of like the satellite person for Atlanta because our brewer Christine in Virginia Beach is the one who's in charge of our QA and sensory programs and she and I both just really love sensory so we get super excited about it and then realize that like more than likely other people aren't going to be as super excited about it
0: as we are. That's the frustrating part. Yes. You like you like go to do all this work to get this program set up, which is not your experience, my experience, and it's just like you can only get like a few people to to participate, and it's like uh oh, it's so frustrating because as we'll talk about, like you really, it's it's the best situation if you can have the same people doing it every single time, which yes. I get is near to impossible, but yes. you gotta We've at already- least have a handful of people.
1: Yeah, we have already discussed uh, what size of snack budget we should request
0: yeah. <laughs> for
1: um, getting the good snacks. Because I think Cara mentioned this in our episode with her. And this this has definitely been true any time I've been into a bigger brewery that has like a sensory program. So I've, I've been able to set in on the sensory program at Bell's. Yeah. Um, at their main at their main facility and also at actually both New Belgium locations and so they have like
0: the New, Belgium's, New Belgiums is legit
1: yes and but. it is the one in Asheville is kind of funny because it's like in their basement you know and it's uh, <laughs> they're like the basement is where they have like all of the lab stuff
0: uh, yeah. anyway
1: but even the one in Fort Collins it it is. Legit. And it's the same way with Bell's. You know, when they built the brewery, the sensory lab was built into the brewery. It's not a conference table with dividers yeah. in between people. Um, it is the actual, you know, ASBC oh. sensory method recommendations, the, you know, the. Yeah. Dividers are this many inches, and it also has the red lights, Ooh. so they can switch the lights to red, so that you can uh, blind the color of the beer um, and all of that stuff. But I say that I think all of that is very cool. If you ever go into a large sensory lab, the sensory people will show off proudly show off their snacks <laughs> because, like, that's how you get people to come to sensory is
0: yeah. <laughs> after
1: you're done, not before. After you're done, you can get all the nacho cheese Doritos and Nutter Butters that you want.
0: And (laughs) so snacks
1: are like the proudest part for since
0: that. That's a good idea. Like if left hand had more snacks, I probably would have gone to more. (laughs) It's what we jokingly talked about, but
1: I think I will actually do this because. No, you should. I want this. Yeah. uh, This information is I'm going to just keep track of what snacks are the most successful at getting people to panel (laughs) and then also track like the people who do the best sensory job, what kinds of snacks do they like the most? So then I could (laughs) put this together and present it at CBC to be like, you know, don't have nutter butters unless you want that one shitty employee who doesn't give a shit (laughs) to show up and like fuck up your entire panel by just saying that everything's fine when it's not.
0: But everybody, snack need would be different because it would all be based on individuals' preferences.
1: But I don't think that it would.
0: That's the thing.
1: <laughs> so further background information about myself is my degree is in economics. So I d- have done a lot of statistics and things. And I, you know, learning about how do you track and quantify kind of things that are very subjective. I think that it would, I think, so this is my hypothesis <laughs> that I would be able to track what panelists the best panelists, what they prefer snack wise. And that oh. also breaks down into things like if you're a type A personality, you typically choose something that's crunchy. Mm. And that, that is definitely true for me, but you know, tracking, like if you have cool ranch Doritos, do you get like the, the dude who's always hungover, Or like if you have <laughs> like dried big Island pineapple, do you get the person who's super excited about sensory and shows up every time? Well you should just start with whatever snacks you like. I am. I yeah. will. Right. I'll try to trap more like me.
0: There you go. Ugh. But
1: I think I, I that is my hypothesis that I think you would be able to tell at least by you could at least measure participation by only stocking the most popular snacks.
0: No, I mean you're really on to something. And I'm not I'm not joking. <laughs> like you entice people like to be rewarded in their own self-interest so yes you want and to come from tc panel TM, TM, TM. this is my
1: idea nobody can steal it <laughs> so if i'm cbc in a couple of years and somebody like wants to talk about snacks and sensory i will run up on the stage and tackle you
0: <laughs> you're like i have the data yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and i put it on this podcast that i don't think anybody listens to but it's there it was released <laughs>
0: Look at all my data I've been collecting. (laughs) Yes. So. But once you get to your people, so that is what we're trying to say is you do need a good amount of people to do like to have a sensory program. We're talking about sensory. We're talking about being able to take a group of your team from the brewery and put a random sample in front of them or flight of beers or whatever And have them kind of dissect it and write notes onto what they're smelling and tasting and seeing. And it should be blind. So they don't know what the beer is in front of them necessarily. Or they do. You write them, like, a brand description. And hopefully what they're tasting is exactly on par with the brand description. So there's a lot of different ways. You know, like, if you want to see if there's any off flavors in your beer. If you want to see... If your, you know, uh, if, if it's close, if your beer is actually matching your brand description, like what you're telling your people, like what's on your label for the beer, and just, just to make sure your process is good too, like if you notice that you keep tasting chlorophenol in all of your beers, maybe you need to look at your water and filter your water. So, like to, to do these things is an effort to try to help you do better as a brewery and be more consistent in your product.
1: Yes. And that is what Rachel is talking about is known as true to brand testing. And that is, that will really be the majority of what we're doing on our sensory panel is true to brand. And so since we're starting it, I I keep saying we, I shouldn't, it's really, it's really Christine's project. Um, But, you know, training people, on these are our core beers this is yes. what they should taste like but also as a group developing the descriptors and that language is going to help ev- you know everyone yeah. learn and then as you're doing that like i've said before the biggest challenge of improving your palate is really improving your descriptive skills yeah, and so it's taking what you know what's personal to you and learning how to put that into the commonly accepted Lexicon, but it's still important to understand what things taste like to you personally. Yeah, and that was a conversation I was having with one of our employees, because like Rachel said, you want people from your company and obviously like in pilots case, you guys have five people, um, and everybody does everything, you know, where I work. I'm in the marketing department. I sit in the admin offices all day, but we have front of house and back of house and the brewing production team. And so it's drawing people from all of those different areas because you don't, you don't necessarily want a bunch of brewers at your table that, you know, a lot of times that can be a downfall because maybe you don't feel comfortable saying that something doesn't taste right if the brewer is in the room. Yeah. So you want a wide swath of people, but this employee that I was talking to, she said, well, I don't, I guess I need to start studying on beer and beer knowledge because I don't feel like I know enough. And I was like, no, that is not, that's actually good because we are training everybody. Everybody's getting the exact same training. It will be new training for me. I mean, I haven't done a true to brand training Mm -hmm. Before. And so it's, it's new to almost everybody, unless you've worked in a brewery before. Yeah. But like, it's almost better that you don't come in thinking that, you know, a lot, because then we have to break those habits. Exactly. And that's, you know, when we're talking about sensory too, one thing that I always try to really get across to people is like sensory is just tasting things or not just tasting, but it's, you know, it's your five senses and communicating what it is that you're sensing from those. So you're not going to be wrong about what you are personally tasting. And it is just a matter of understanding that if you think, you know, true story, heard it, overheard it, a judging, if you think a beer smells like a Barbie doll's armpit, it's that's okay. <laughs> I, as somebody who has had Barbie dolls, I know exactly what that smell is. Yeah. <laughs> but as somebody who is a beer professional, I understand that what it is that you're actually describing is Britannomyces because that's yeah. <laughs> that eugenol kind of styrene, the plasticky, almost burnt smell. That's what it is that you're smelling. So it's fine if you smell it and say Barbie doll armpit, if you write that on a score sheet or something. That's not actually probably helpful to helpful. <laughs> whoever's going to get it. Maybe it is. If I got that, I would know what it is. But it's just a matter of taking that immediate recognition in your head and saying, "Okay, I know that this though is actually Brett." Like maybe this has an
0: infection. I remember I used to get so like when I worked at Left Hand and we would we would do True to Brand a lot, and so and also when you're doing True to Brand too, and this is like just to clarify, this is like. Jen gets a bunch of people that work at New Realm and say, "Okay, here's a sample of beer. Here's the brand description. Write, write down does this match? What's different? Blah blah blah." So like sometimes we get like really old beer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know it would come like one beer would come out of this serving tank, one went out of this bright or whatever. So like it would be a mix, but but um, for the for Sawtooth, there was always Sawtooth with like my arch nemesis when it came to to brand description because. They would write that this beer was amber in color and it was fucking was not. It was not amber. It was orange pale. Okay. It is not <laughs> amber color beer. And it would drive me nuts in every single tasting panel. I would write that. I'd be like, look, the beer tastes fine. The beer is fine. But it's not amber. Okay. It's not amber. Transcription <laughs> should not say amber. It is orange pale. And I would just like, like the whole year I worked there. Like, They must have been so annoyed by me. (laughs) But that
1: is, that is an important thing to note. And that is, um, so I won't like, I'm not sponsored in any way by draft lab and sample ox, but I really, really, really fucking love their products. But that is something when talking about Sample Ox. So that's a newer program that Draft Lab has. That's kind of like untapped, but it's useful for breweries, um, (laughs) where it has the flavor maps in it. And so if you're, you know, if you're at Pilot and you see that Pilot's on Sample Ox, you can open whatever beer you're tasting, and you just do a little like almost like a true to brand kind of thing. But if, you know, you Pilot has as their descriptor that it's this beer has pineapple, guava, and mango in it, but you have a hundred customers drink your beer and they say, yes, pineapple, yes, mango, but nobody says guava yeah. and you know, 80% of the people say peach, then you can adjust your marketing language yeah. to reflect how your customers actually perceive your product because you know then you can capture maybe there are people who don't like guava but they do really like peach or, or something like that so exactly what you're saying is if somebody is saying this is not amber this is not yeah. what color amber is then you should change your description or consider nice. changing your description Thank you. to make it more to make it reflect how people are perceiving your beer because I can tell you all day that, you know, my beer is supposed to taste this way.
0: But if you don't taste that, you don't taste it, that. And that's just the way, like, people's taste receptors work, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, there are a lot of common things that people can pick up commonly. But there are outliers. So, you know, this is something to be wary about, too. Like, if, if one person is only tasting this, but nobody else is maybe you don't have to wrap your head around it. I like, I've never heard of sample ox before. I like it. Um, yes, I'm looking I will. at it right now. Yes. It looks like if you make the same beer all the time, like you have year rounds, like this could be really beneficial for you.
1: Yes, it is. It's, um, I unfortunately will not get to use sample ox for consumer research this year, but I'm hoping for next year. Um, uh, but it, it is a very, very cool, platform and if you are a brewery and so Rachel this would even apply to you if you're a brewery who might be interested in it they have incredibly responsive and extremely helpful support team who will give you a free trial who will you know they will I I shouldn't offer up that they will give you a free trial I don't most likely that for everyone but they will walk you through how to set this up then how to interpret your data and they do all sorts of really super cool stuff. That's also um, Lindsay Barr is the, one of the co-founders of Draft Lab, and so Samplex is their new product. She used to be the head of uh, Sensory for New Belgium.
0: So, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So she uh, is very qualified. Everyone at their team is like. Every time I hear anybody from Draft Lab or Samplex talk about Sensory, I'm just like, How do I get your life? How do I? <laughs> how do I get to be you? And also, will you just tell me everything that you know? Uh, but sensory again is, is my favorite thing, but I will uh, just a brief digression into what you said about if one person tastes something, Uh, this is again, me being a little salty and wondering like how pedantic I want to be about things, but uh, (laughs) recently, so I've, in addition to studying for Master Cicerone, I'm also trying to get my master level BJCP and on the most recent tasting exam that I took, when I got my feedback back, it they they have kind of a complex grid system for everything. And it said on one of the beers, I lost, I don't remember how many points, but I, I lost at least one point because I said that I tasted acetaldehyde in the beer and nobody else who took the exam said that they tasted it, including the proctors. I also happen to know two of the three proctors. Um, one of them does a very, very good job. And, uh, but the head proctor also thought that a 2008 barley wine, a 2008 Bigfoot was a new beer because he said he got a lot of hot burn from it. Um, so these are the people who are grading my exam and, they said, well, you well, lost a point because you said acetaldehyde and nobody else did. And I was like, that doesn't mean that I'm wrong. I think I have a better palate for acetaldehyde than anybody else <laughs> in that room. And also technically acetaldehyde is present in every beer. So uh, <laughs> I can't be wrong. Like just because they didn't get it, just because this room full of men didn't get it right. Doesn't mean that I'm wrong.
0: Well, what I meant was a, uh, someone who is just, Maybe not into right. beer. No, I, I, knew, samples, I know that, but that's making like, a comment <laughs> on <off> sample box. Kind of like yes.
1: an untapped review. Let's well, <laughs> and you know, we, the first time we did kind of a brand descriptor with just the brewing teams, somebody did like one of the brewers, I don't know which one, but it was just completely off. And then it's like, okay, well, everybody's going to get this training. So then after the training, we can reassess like, whether whether this is going to be somebody who is just not, I won't say a bad taster because, again, like you taste what you taste, but yeah. maybe it, it, this, this is hard. somebody who doesn't quite get yet what the point of sensory is yeah, or like just hasn't learned how to put that language, you know, what they're tasting into this lexicon.
0: Yeah. And it is really hard to like, learn that stuff it's like learning a whole nother language and you you can smell stuff and you can recognize smells but like a good example is like from what I've learned is that I don't smell like people you don't smell something that's sweet sweet is a flavor like you smell caramel you smell fruit you smell flowers or you know but you don't smell sweetness yes you know like learning stuff like that helps helps me kind of like understand more because it's just like it's just like fine-tuning your vocabulary, almost. Right. It's funny you said that because, as part of my on, I'm
1: since I'm on the governing committee for the AHA, they've had a lot of layoffs, uh, so they're working on you know a very like skeleton crew right now. But one of the things that we're doing as the GC is that homebrew clubs can request to have somebody from the AHA speak at their club meetings. So last week, I ended up doing two club meetings, one for a club in St. Louis and one for a club in uh, Fort Collins. And I did a sensory presentation. And that's one of the things specifically that I called out in my presentation is if you are describing aroma, it cannot be sweet. Yeah. Sweetness is a taste. You can't smell sweetness. So use that as a challenge to yourself if you're if you're tempted to write down sweet as an aroma challenge yourself to figure out what, what it is you are actually smelling is it vanilla you know is it caramel and but don't write sweet yeah. anymore and of course it was funny because after that we did like a tasting and you know i'd already gone through my whole thing about like don't say that malt don't describe malt character as malty yeah. and so somebody like smelled it and was like this tastes sweet and malty to me <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, so yes anyway um that is a, a, for me too the challenge and maybe this is why I'm I just really enjoy sensory is the you know the journey at getting better at it and I know I've talked about this on this podcast before that you know, I, I'm very good at memorizing as a student. I was very good at learning exactly what the professor or the teacher wanted me to say on the exam and parroting that back. Yeah. But yeah. anyone Cicero, can study for a test. Right. With Cicero, it it. It was Cicero, such a challenge to me because for the tasting portion, I had to rely on myself. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I couldn't just parrot back what you know or i couldn't just memorize stats like i yeah. that's something i know i have a very good memory so i i can i can do that all day long but having to rely on my own palate you know my own gut and especially getting my brain to shut the fuck up and <laughs> sort of second guessing myself yeah that was the biggest challenge to me and i think for a lot of people that is that that kind of challenge is with sensory, you have to tell somebody what you think, what you feel, what you perceive. And most of the time, like that, there's a, you know, there's a vulnerability mm-hmm. in that. And you don't want people to tell you that you're wrong and you don't want to be wrong. Yeah. And I remember the very, very first time I ever sat down to judge was at my homebrew club in Chicago. And it was just like an inner club competition. And they asked hey, does anybody want to sit down and do this? They needed a couple more judges. So Tom and I sat down and I I described it as like sitting down at the table and realizing that I was topless. Yeah. You know, like when you have those dreams that like you're somewhere and you're naked, like yeah. I sat down at the table and was like, I – I would actually rather just be here topless
0: than
1: (laughs) have no idea what I'm doing. I didn't have the BJCP guidelines on my phone. Uh, I was, you know, barely knew about the guidelines. And, uh, you know, again, luckily I had a very good first experience with experienced judges who were like, yeah, so, you know, you pull out the guidelines and these are the styles and here's how you find the styles. And then just, read through what the, what it's supposed to look like and then look at the beer, yeah.
0: you know,
1: and they like were very patient and, uh, you know, knew that I was there as somebody who was brand new, but like, I, I was just like, I, I'm so like just out there right yeah. now.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's and a good so- point. Cause if you are a home brewer looking for more sensory training, it can be really difficult, um if you don't work at a brewery because one if you want to go buy off like there's a lot of like do at home stuff you can do. Um if you want to like train yourself. Like there's some different like ways that you can create some off flavors without a lot of work. If you want to buy off flavors, they're very expensive. Um but if you are a home brewer wanting more experience, go judge some other homebrew competitions because If if
1: you were anybody, if you're studying for Cicerone, you need to be doing BJCP competitions.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, like, if you, yeah, either way, even if you just want to learn more studying for Cicerone, yeah, like you said, make sure they're BJCP, because that would be confusing. You're right, if you're doing, like, Brewer's Association guidelines or something like that. But it's so not, it's so much easier than you think, and it's such a good, great way to get exposure not even just on off flavors but just like building your vocabulary and like what you're talking about what you're tasting and how to express it because like for me the first time I judged actually the first time I like really judged I was working at Hardywood and I don't really remember that experience that well I mean I was okay I wasn't like very good you know like but you're paired up with somebody so like you're worried about you're, you're not being good they they they, they, they know that. They yeah, correct yeah. for that. They don't want you to go <laughs> blindly into this. So they'll pair you with somebody who it does have experience. And most people who are very nice, they're going to walk you through the process. And it's not like necessarily that hard because you have right there on paper what you should be seeing and tasting. Um, so you, and, just, you just use that as a guideline. And then you and have someone yeah. that you can talk to it with about it, you know?
1: And chances are, and this is what I was talking to people about last week too chances are you already know what these flavors are. It's just a matter of learning how to taste kind of through the layers Mm -hmm. of the beer. But, you know, if I say white bread, if I say bread crust, if I say toast, yeah. Most people probably have had white bread, bread crust, and toast. (laughs) Like, you know, you have those flavors in your memory. It's just a matter of learning how to mindfully taste. And I know, Rachel, we had talked about and um, more, not so much on a sensory panel, but we were, when we were talking about what sorts of sensory things we could talk about, Rachel brought up a very good point of sensory things that homebrewers can do at home. Again, I will plug myself as I want to do, but if you're a member of the AHA, I did a uh, sensory, like sensory experiments for homebrewers and homebrew clubs at this year's homebrew con. um, And I think that will be available starting maybe in January. Uh, So a lot of what I'll talk about today or what I have been talking about is also in that presentation, but, um, you know, using what you had brought up was how you can, as a home brewer and also as a brewer, if, you know, if you're a brewer listening to this, you don't know, but what sorts of sensory things you can do at home to make your beer better.
0: Yeah.
1: To improve the quality of your beer. And I know you had specifically called out a forced VDK test.
0: Yeah. Super easy. Um, so, a VDK test will kind of stress out your beer to bring out any diacetyl that might be left in it
1: so you
0: can, so you can taste it. Sorry. Sorry. VDK
1: VDK is vicinal diketones. So um, diacetyl and is it? It's two, three butadione are our two ketones, Um, but they're very similar in flavor and most of what is in beer is going to be diacetyl. So it's just kind of, both of those, both of your VDKs are referred to as diacetyl, but yes. when she's talking about VDK, it's basically a diacetyl test.
0: It is. So every beer, every yeast fermentation produces diacetyl, just like they produce acetaldehyde. Um it, It's when you leave your beer on the yeast long enough where the yeast will actually clean that up for you, so it's not a problem. Um, so, you know, when your beer is done fermenting and you see this action kind of settling and your gravity is kind of stabling out... You might be, it might seem like your beer is finished fermenting and you're ready to go on to the next step when in fact it might need a couple extra days to actually clean up some of these um, compounds it's producing just as a natural part of fermentation. Diacetyl is one of those. And diacetyl is that flavor of buttered popcorn. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever heard people describing those two hand in hand, loggers will can be a big diacetyl producer english shale sometimes any beer can be a big diacetyl producer and you can taste it if you let it but this test is super easy it's really cheap um you don't need a lot of tools basically if you think your beer is finished pull a sample um six ounces or so and filter it through a coffee filter and and um Pull, pull a sample enough that you can make two little samples. Filter them both through a coffee filter and then keep one aside at room temperature. The other one you'll put in a hot water bath, like 150 degrees, for about 15 minutes. Just like a pot with hot water. Just put your glass in there. Seal, seal your glass up with like some aluminum foil um, so condensation doesn't drip into your sample. Put your glass of water or your beer in the pot of hot water, not like boiling on the stove. Just get a hot water bucket, stick it in there, cover it, let it sit for 15 minutes, pull it out, stick it in the refrigerator just so it can cool down to a temperature that you're comfortable drinking <laughs> so you don't burn your mouth. Right. Um, you're just you're basically, what you're doing is you're heating up the beer. It's, it's forcing any diacetyl in the, in it to come out to expose itself so you can taste it. Now you have your constant sample that you just pulled and filtered, which is great. So it's important to filter these things because you don't want to, you don't want like to taste like the hops and you, you want to like separate whatever yeast you can. You want to try to get the best version of like your finished beer and, um, remove other things that might distract from you tasting that diacetyl. Like if it's really hoppy, um, and then you just try the samples side by side, and typically your cold sample should be fine. Like if your right. cold sample, the, I say cold, the one that you kept room temperature, if you're tasting diacetyl in that, which is that butter flavor, or sometimes you can um, feel slickness on the roots of your mouth, if you're getting that from your cold sample, then your beer definitely needs more time. Like it's not right. And
1: that yeah, that's kind of like do not pass go. You don't even really yeah. need to mess with the second sample exactly.
0: because you can taste in the first sample that there's exactly. still diacetyl that needs to be cleaned up. So if your whole sample tastes fine and then you're getting, a, getting just a little bit in your hot sample, same story. Just give your beer, sorry, knocking over stuff. Just give your beer um, a day or two and do the test again. You don't need to waste a lot of beer doing it. It's, um, it's not like you have to pull a whole hydrometer full of worth of beer, which is great. Um, but you, you just need enough so you can try them both and then just leave the beer on the yeast, you know, like I kind of even have this thing at the brewery. I don't even I, like, I let beer sit in those tanks for 14 days, even if it doesn't really need to, mm-hmm. like, like technically it might pass like day 12 and like beer ferments fast and that's fine. You'll have some beers finished really, really quickly. I just know that one, I have the time and two, it's pretty much foolproof, um, at least for me and in my process. But I still always do a VDK. The one time I did not do a VDK was your beer, Jane, and I'm so sorry. Yes. And that's, that's um, <laughs>
1: it, it is actually a funny, so I wasn't going to bring it up, but since you brought it up, um, it is, you know, it's, and it's, uh, so it was a Grisette and nice. it, we had made it for the opening of Pilot. And I'm going to put just a tiny bit of a pin in this French Saison Yeast. Um, and come back to it because I learned more about it later. Um, but we have the French Saison yeast in it and we, it was also free rise
0: beer. So like there was no fermentation control. So it went really, really fast. Uh, but, So, well, I
1: guess I will say, I will jump to one of the conclusions, which is to say that with Saison yeast specifically, it actually behaves more like a red wine yeast than a beer yeast. Mm -hmm. Um, So you do, you have to give it more time. And in the Farmhouse Ales book, there is a fantastic chapter on Saison yeast and how you need to treat it more like a red wine yeast and don't treat it just like a beer yeast. So, yeah. but one of those things being that it takes a while to. Um, I, I think what did I? Uh, well, Drew Jim up. calls it. He called it like the um, the Dupont drag or something yeah. like the Dupont play, <laughs> um, because it will lag, and you yeah. think that it's finished, and it's not finished. Uh, so what? Uh, from my experience, from my point of view. We're walking up to, we being me and Tom, walking up to Pilot on the second day that it's open. We've got my Grisette on and I'm going to go get my Grisette on tap at a brewery because I'm a real brewer now. And there's two <laughs> guys sitting outside who mm-hmm. stop me as I'm walking in to tell me how bad the diacetyl problem is in my beer. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and no, <laughs> this is, no, it's it's fine. I mean, we have a podcast together. I've forgiven you. Okay. No, <laughs> 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 But it's, you know, like when I say homebrew guys, this is like homebrew, capital H, homebrew guy, capital G, those guys who, you know, who also think that they do like very good untapped feedback.
0: They probably can't even taste diacetyl that much. Like that, that's how bad
1: it is. Yes, but stop me as I'm walking inside. So I haven't even made it in the brewery yet to tell me how bad the diacetyl is in my that's beer. That's so sad. And even to the, like, we walked inside and Tom was like, and Tom knows them. And he said, what is their fucking problem? Yeah, Why did seriously. they do that? How, like, how much longer were they going to keep you outside telling you how bad your beer is? And I was like, welcome to being a woman in the homebrew community. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I get my beer and... <laughs> As terrible diacetyl. And so this is, but this is a good example of kind of, you know, like the Hafster Detective Agency trying to figure out why would <laughs> it be. That's outside gig, by the way. Because, I mean. Yeah. In my, you know, in my head, it's like, okay, well, this is the second day that the brewery has been open. This is, you know, maybe the third day the beer is flowing through the taps, So it's not an infection in the lines. The lines aren't dirty. Yeah, right. um, and at the time, I had been told that there was going to be a force VDK test. <laughs> there was supposed to be. And so I was like, this is this is really weird. So I get Rachel. I'm like, Rachel, I need you to try this. And
0: she,
1: Rachel's response is like, this is like a textbook version of diacetyl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me take this
1: off real quick. <laughs> and uh, yeah yeah and we were I was just like, yeah, we need to take this like i I don't want my beer to be the diacetyl example that people are trying um and I was well, like, about peer education here at pilot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i i was like well that's really weird because you guys did a force vdk and rachel was like no we didn't do a force vdk because we tasted it and tasted fine and i was like that's exactly why you do the force vdk <laughs>
0: it was totally my bad like i think like Rael was like rayelle was like worked here at the time i think she was like she was like texting me she's like yeah beer's finished seems fine like been this many days and i was like yeah it's probably fine like knowing i need to do a vdk but i'm just like yeah one million things going on i'm sure it's fine just put it yeah yeah yeah. and i was like oh it is not fine and i remember like hooking it up that day too and just like like even josh tasted it with me when we hooked it up we're like oh cool tastes good we just kept on going And then later on, we were both like, "Oh my God, this is not what we were tasting before."
1: Yeah, exactly. Sorry. And um, but yeah, so that's you know that that is kind of I I guess it's a fun story about like why that VDK is important, and also why a VDK is especially important with something like that French saison yeast, because like I said, I was reading about saisons, and I was really getting into the chapter about how you need to treat. Saison yeast as something on its own. Don't treat it like an ale yeast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, reading through that, I was like, oh, okay. Because also at the time, one of the things Rachel said was, Well, what I've learned is I need to give the French Saison yeast more time. And then reading later about why exactly it is, you know, to give it more time. Like we just knew that, yeah, it's gonna taste fine, but then it's not gonna taste fine. And then learning that that's because it it lags you know, and it's apparently famous for, Mm -hmm. for doing that. But the other thing I know, um, I've been asked before by brewers about how do you heat up the water? And I was speaking to somebody from creature comforts and he said that they actually used to have a sous vide machine that they got a sous vide. So, you know, like when you sous vide food, no, what is that? it's um, basically where you seal something up, you kind of vacuum seal it and put it in a hot water bath. And that's how you cook it. Oh, like, so, like blanching, but out of bag. Yeah. Well, but so you a lot of times you like sous vide, like seafood. I see. I see. And he said that they had a sous vide machine that uh, they got for like $30 on Amazon. And that's what they would use to, heat up their water and do like the hot water bath to heat up the sample. So cool. if, you know, I know at Pilot, you guys have hot enough water coming out of, yeah. your, of your hot water that you can just do that. But a sous vide machine is also potentially, you know, if you, if you don't have hot, hot water available, uh,
0: then that might be a good option for doing. You could probably that. just stick like a bowl in your microwave also, if you want, heat it yeah. up on the stove, something like that.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think that's something for home brewers, especially, I mean, uh, pro brewers, you, you should also already be doing that for every single beer, but if you're not,
0: you just, Oh man, you'd be surprised.
1: And it's, you know, I think it would probably also be a good way. I know you had mentioned that, you know, somebody you were speaking to had diacetyl in his beer and couldn't taste it because he didn't really know what diacetyl tastes like. And to be fair, 20% 20% of the population is anosmic to, to diacetyl, yeah. which anosmic means you cannot smell it. Yeah. Um, one thing that I do tell people, though, is that if you think you are anosmic to a certain off flavor, that is probably not true. There's an 80% yeah. chance that you are You are able to detect it. You just haven't quite learned how yet. So don't think that just because the first few times, you know, I say something has diacetyl in it, you can't pick up diacetyl. Don't think that that you can just say, well... I guess that means I can't taste it because chances are you can, but I have have to to practice a lot. Right. But I I really who have said like, oh, well, I I think that I just can't I just can't detect that. And it's like, "Uh, keep trying. Yeah, keep trying. And then, you know, um, I know actually with Araxa, one of their employees actually is anosmic to diacetyl, but he also knows that. And so when they're doing a panel, if, you know, he can pick out the diacetyl basically because he can pick out everything else and one of the samples that's supposed to be spiked tastes fine. And so he knows that that's the diacetyl spike, but he also works for a company that specializes in sensory and has validated that he is anosmic to that. Um, But if you don't think you know what it tastes like, I think that that's a great way, a force VDK test to learn what it tastes like and to, you know, see how much of a difference heat can make. Um, also, well, I, I was about to say something um, that I won't say, but you know, sometimes there are certain brands that insist that their beer always be kept refrigerated because that's the tradition. Um, no. When in reality is that if it's not refrigerated, it warms up enough that you can taste all the diastole in it because they don't do a diacetyl press on their lagers. But Anyway, I know,
0: I know who you're talking about. We
1: will <laughs> uh, from that, but uh, yeah, marketing can really make a difference um, and make up for poor product quality. But other kinds of sensory that you can do as a brewer, whether a pro brewer or a home brewer, um, I will die on the hill of, you know, doing hot steeps for your malts.
0: Mm -hmm. to find out what malts
1: taste like. I think that's, uh, I, I do that when I have a new malt that I, you know, most of the time in most of these circumstances, it is specifically because I have bought a smoked malt because it is smoked malt and I don't know exactly what it's going to taste like. So doing a hot steep to understand that smoke character and the underlying character and, you know, building recipes, from that um, that is that's one that's really easy to do and I believe Brees has a video on YouTube explaining exactly how to do that but if you order a base malt flavor map or a specialty malt flavor map from draft lab it does have the the um, ASBC method for preparing that on there uh, if you really wanted to you can just email us and I can send you instructions on how to do <laughs> that but the hot steep is great for your raw ingredient sensory Uh, doing a hop rub or the rapid hop grind method is great for learning more about your hops Uh, so there are a lot of things that you can do to improve your sensory skills as a brewer that are you know fairly low budget or free or Mm -hmm. there and you know there is fairly minimal effort and i know a friend of ours uh jared who is the head brewer at Rock Hill Brewing Company, he's been a home brewer for many, many years, and he has a fantastic palate. And one of the reasons why that is is because when he started home brewing, he would do smash beer after smash beer after smash beer. Mm. So he a smash beer. Love so
0: smash
1: beer means single malt and single hop. Uh, so he would do, you know, two-row and cascade, and then every single yeast strain he could get his hands on. And then keep the yeast strain the same and do, you know, 10 different hops. And that's how he learned to taste all of those differences between all of those things, which is a lot of work yeah. um, and a lot of effort to do that. But it is a great way to be able to do that. But you can also, with the exception of yeast, you can also do like the hot steep, the hop rubs and get an idea of that as well. So thank you for coming to my yeah. sensory TED Talk. I <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about it all day. And another, you know, another aspect that I don't think people think about a lot either is it doesn't have to just be beer. You don't have to sit down and drink a bunch of beer. You can also get a range of citrus fruits, cut those up, taste those, learn the difference between a tangerine and an orange and a mandarin mm-hmm. orange and a an orange and you know sit down and do that. Sit down with a bunch of different spices and smell through those. Or do you know like what they do on top shelf or they blindfold and somebody just hands you samples and you smell it and say what the spice is. Um, all of those sorts of things, it doesn't have to be beer. You can though like that is very valuable because I know I'm not very good at picking up peach. In beers, mm. like I'll have a beer and I mean, it's been a while now since I've had a peach beer, but I'll have a beer and be like, what is this fruit flavor? What is this? And it's, you know, I, actually, it's probably apricot, but it's presented as peach. Um, and so, you know, sitting down and, and trying different fruits is going to give you a huge advantage in actually learning what those things taste like.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. And it will, it'll, you'll you'll receive a lot of aha moments yes. for sure, yes. especially when you're like trying to compare it to like a, a, a fruity hop, like a hop that's high in citrus. And let's say you're drinking a very a single hop beer with citra hops, which is great. Like seek seek out those single hop beers if you can, mm-hmm. so you can learn or brew single hop beers. And then if it says you know packed full of orange, you know try to detect that for yourself. And eat an orange if you need to. Yes, exactly. Fresh
1: yeah, and I know I've done that before of buying like different like dried fruits or fresh fruits or even canned fruits and just smelling them and tasting them and being like, okay, right. Like I think I know what pineapple tastes like, but I don't eat a lot of pineapple.
0: Yeah, so, I love pineapple. It's my favorite. Really? <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, and you know, the same thing with pears. And, and so it doesn't have to be just beer. You could be at the grocery store and say, okay, I'm gonna look up stone fruit and get three different stone fruits.
0: Yeah, no, I would especially with like yeast and like you get a lot of yeast descriptors that are like like pear or apple or like pear drop, and I'd be like, What is pear drop?
1: Yes. <laughs> like... Circus peanuts. I actually ordered, but that's a really good point because I actually ordered pear drops off of Amazon and it tastes just like circus peanuts. I mean it's just the fake banana flavor. Um, uh, so it's see, like of, exactly the banana runt flavor is what a pear drop tastes
0: like. Really? Yes. I thought it was just like pear. I don't know. See? No, no, it's what just an isoamyl
1: doing? acetate candy.
0: And I don't know what circus peanuts are. I don't think I've ever had circus peanuts. Cause I remember like Pat Flay uses circus peanuts a lot. Like he tastes that. And the first time I said that, I'm like, I don't know what circus peanuts taste oh, like. Oh, I'll
1: get you some. I used to eat circus peanuts as a kid. Um, they're not good. But it's like you know, you know when you go to the store and there's like the aisle of candy that's basically like candy that your grandparents always had around. The, that's where you find circus peanuts. Like it's like a prox, like red bag. I'll, I'll get you some circus peanuts next time. Oh, it I see gorgeous. them um, because yeah, I got some of those for Tom once to try also because he he was like I've never had a circus peanut and I really ruined half of for him for a while. Oh my god, I don't want it now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I know so, what so acetate tastes like. <laughs> yes, but
1: that's yeah, So that's circus peanuts. Uh, but that it is just, you know, when you read those flavors, we think we know what they are, but just take some time to actually taste those flavors. And that will make you a better taster. It will make you better at sensory and being able to dig into what those flavors. Are and then also building your own scent memories for those, yeah,
0: and vocabulary. Like, if you're in the field of sales or you're in front of house, like, no offense, but you should know how to talk like this, you know what I mean? You should know (laughs) how
1: facing, how would you, you know, and I know if I'm trying to explain what uh, that banana flavor is in Hefeweizen, I'm not going to say isoamyl acetate. Yeah. I'm probably also not going to say circus peanuts or pear drops, Uh, pear drops are like (laughs) in English. So, you know, a lot of people in the United States doesn't don't, they don't know what a pear drop is because that's just not a candy they have here. Uh, you're not 80 years old. You don't know what circus peanuts are. So I probably wouldn't say that. I would say banana (laughs) runs, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. I know what banana runs is. Um, so yeah, I mean I think that's as you can tell I get very excited about <laughs> sensory that's and good. I'm actually starting the UC Davis Applied Sensory and Consumer Science certificate program in just a few weeks and I'm super excited about that because like the first it's all about sensory and you know doing sensory panels and the very the first unit is all about you know, how we smell, how we perceive, all of those things that I really love learning about. And uh, again, I know Christine and I have talked about starting a sensory book club. So if anybody is interested in a sensory book club, uh, let us know and we will actually get that started because as soon as I as soon as she suggested that, I was like, "Oh, we could read Tasty, and we could read Neurogastronomy, and we can read <sighs> Flavor and Mouthfeel, and here's all this stuff, and now I've got a book club list of books that we can read about sensory." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that also started. So I will put a brief plug out for this Harold McGee, the author of On Cooking, On Food and Cooking. I think is the name of that book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's it's a tome, you know, but it is the the book on kind of food chemistry and, and all of that, uh, he has a new book coming out in October that is called, I think it's called Nosedives or Nosedive. And it's like a compendium of all of the world's aromas. Uh, so Mm -hmm. it's available for pre-order. I have pre-ordered it. I'm so excited about it, but he talks about, the science behind all the different aromas and why does beer smell the way beer smells, you know, what happens to make those aromas and, you know, like all the way from that and like flowers to why does, you know, a dead animal smell like a dead animal. So it's all, all the, like the science behind what is happening and what those smells are producing, which I think is super cool. And I will end on this one more anecdote about, Just about the power of sensory and learning about it and how cool it can be is a few weeks ago, uh, Lindsay from Draft Lab had posted on her Instagram stories that she was by the beach or she was at the beach and thought, you know, the ocean really smells like DMS today (laughs) and started doing Instagram live and explained why the ocean smells like DMS. And it's because it's a sulfur-based compound and it's something to do with maybe like kelp or something. But she said, like, if you see a lot of seagulls in one spot in the ocean, what they're being drawn to is that DMS smell. And um, it was, you know, this whole really, really good explanation about how, why we think that the ocean, like the ocean smells like DMS is because we are actually smelling DMS from the ocean. Yeah. And <laughs> I had reposted it and one of my friends grew up in a coastal town and got really super excited and was messaging me about it and saying, oh my God, oh my God. And then she said, now I know I always, when I have a Pilsner or kell, it reminds me of my, where I grew up and I never know yeah. why. But she said it's some, you know, I open a Pilsner or Cal and it, it, I immediately think of where I grew up and she grew up on the ocean. And so she was like, this is like, this is huge. This unlocks a very big <laughs> door or, you know, where she never really understood why, like what yeah, is I it am- that you think about that? And it's because of that DMS making that connection. So sensory can be super, super cool. I know I've had moments like that in my life where I've smelled something, um, particularly with beer and have said, you know, like that, like just again, like that very personal memory of it being like this reminds me of this and mm-hmm. then going down that rabbit hole of figuring out okay is this compound present in both of these and is that why this always reminds me of this specific moment and I know I used to uh, a lot of times when I'm judging something that has a lot of sulfur character in it I it to me I would smell it and be like perm this is me getting a perm as a kid <laughs> because it's a sulfur solution that they use when they're perming your hair and uh you know, like that would always come to my mind. I would, and some or I know before I've had like guys at the table say, like, smell this, what is this? And I was like, this is perm solution. And <laughs> I know that you guys don't know what that is, but it's it's there's some sort of high level of sulfur in this. Um so yeah, I think I Rachel's been very kind of letting me just ramble <laughs> on and on about sensory, but I I really like it and it never ceases to fascinate me because us human beings are pretty crazy creatures and the human condition I think will never cease to be fascinating.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's always, it's also subjective too. So it, don't, don't uh, fret if you can't smell or taste the same things other people are, because it just takes time. I didn't, I, I,
1: you know, I, I think I've said before, I remember drinking a Sam Adams Boston lager and saying, Oh, so this bitterness is from the hops so if i taste something bitter then it's hoppy and that was a that was a connection you know for me that was a meaningful connection of understanding that beer isn't just beer it's it's made of ingredients and each one of those ingredients contributes something to it and yeah i didn't i didn't start out being
0: fascinated that the ocean smells like dms <laughs> and i don't think i've ever noticed it now i'm going to have to like sit there and notice it when I go back
1: personally, I know that I'm terrible at smelling DMS. So I would probably be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Ocean doesn't smell like DMS (laughs) uh, because I know that's one that I'm not very good at smelling, but um,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. You know, you start where you start and your, your experiences as a human in your own life, in your own body drive so much of what you sense that don't be intimidated that you don't quite have that lexicon down yet because with time patience, and with good people around you to help you and help, you know, kind of marry those two that personal uh, connection that you make with the lexicon that, that will come with time. And if you, you know, if you have the, the bad experience, and I know I've had bad experiences with other judges where they'll, you know, React to me like I'm just the biggest idiot they've ever seen, um, (laughs) or tell me that I'm wrong about something. Mm. Don't let that stop you because you are the best judge of what you perceive. And sensory learning more about sensory and about how you personally can detect things is going to make you a better brewer. It's definitely going to make you a better taster. I think it makes you a better consumer. Because when you get beers that are well-made, you can truly, truly appreciate them. Um, Mm -hmm. And as brewers, you shouldn't be afraid of offering your end users, your customers, education on how to be better
0: tasters. Agreed. One day we'll get back to doing our classes here.
1: Yeah.
0: And my final
1: thought is also don't say well actually do you know that women are usually better tasters than men because they have better vocabulary stop it <laughs> I know that I, <laughs> better I, vocabulary <laughs> yes I know that men are very fond of telling me that and yes even with my lady brain um I can be better at something it has so
0: nothing to do with, it has nothing to do with vocabulary I mean I've heard that too but it's because like a, a genetic predivision thing that women have or something, not like vocabulary. No, it's, it's not. Just a it's reason. Not. women,
1: women aren't better tasters, they're better communicators. No, no. <laughs> uh, but stop stop telling women that I don't need you to well actually me when it comes to my palate. I know I have a very good palate. Thank you. <laughs> we're not better tasters we're just better communicators. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So stop saying that to people Stop saying asking why it's not called September Fest. And let people <laughs> like I what did. they like. Don't make fun of women I for like said. fucking things. <laughs> there you go. Jen's rules of not being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all. Right. So with that, yes, thank you everyone again for listening. We always appreciate it. Um, Any feedback um, has to be positive. Leave that for us (laughs) at uh, falsebottomgirls (laughs) at gmail.com or social media at falsebottomgirls on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Not positive feedback. You can tell it to untapped. And please take a moment to subscribe Give us a review, uh, give us, you know, a hopefully five-star review to help other people learn about us and learn about our podcast and definitely keep sharing. I, one of the things I love the most when we have a new episode come out is just seeing people sharing it on, you know, on Instagram and on Facebook and talking about it and other forums and, you know, recommending it to your friends. That's huge. And that's really meaningful to the two of us, as we frequently joke, we forget that people do actually listen to yeah. our podcast, <laughs> um, and sometimes I'll be surprised when somebody like knows something about my life, and yeah, you're like, like, "How what? on earth did you know that?" And they're Why like, are, Cause "Are you stalking talk- me?" Yeah, because you talk about <laughs> it on your podcast. So. Thank you everyone. Uh, truly, truly, we appreciate it. Any ideas for future topics, um, anything you've wondered about with beer, definitely send our way. As I said on the last episode, I, you know, a lot of times people will ask questions and think that they're asking something that's silly or, you know, kind of uh, sophomoric. And it's, it's it, usually it's an incredibly insightful question. Uh, so we're definitely open to talking about anything that you all would like to hear about. So, Rachel, do you have any closing thoughts?
0: Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope.
1: (laughs) All right. Excellent. Well, thank you, everybody. And we hope that you have a great month of October. This has been False Bottom Girls, and we make the Bruin World go round.